He was a chief tax collector and, and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people around, or all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. I'm sure many of us remember the economic crisis of of 2008, the the Great Recession, as we call it now. Um, I was only in in middle school when this happened, and, and I still felt like it had an impact on my life. And granted, I was 14 years old with, with no real responsibilities or, or financial obligations, and I'm sure it was much more difficult for those of you who were working adults with bills to pay and, and families to feed during that time. But this recession affected everyone, from the youngest to the oldest, from the poorest to the richest. I'll be honest with you all, I, I typically have a pretty hard time empathizing with mega millionaires. Uh, but I was reading this week and, and my attention was drawn to this, this heartbreaking, or a, a series of heartbreaking stories that happened during this crisis. Essentially, th- there was this time where there was just a string of suicides as, as these million billionaires were, were losing their money, they were committing just this stream of suicides an acting CFO for a federal home loan mortgage company uh, called Freddie Mac hanged himself in his basement. A chief executive of the leading U.S. real estate auction firm uh, shot himself behind the wheel of his Jaguar. A French money manager who invested, his, invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal families lost $1.4 billion of their money. And so he slid his wrists in his office. A senior executive with HSBC Bank hanged himself in his luxury suite in London, an executive of Bear Stearns, after hearing that J.P. Morgan had had purchased his firm but would not be retaining him to run it, took an overdose of drugs and leapt off of his apartment or his office building. It was just tragedy after tragedy because of these these people had had lost their wealth because they had spent their life building towards this wealth the the thing that they revolved their lives around the the thing that had become so core to their identity that when it was taken away they lost themselves last week we we started this new series that we've been calling false gods and i do want to say that this is based on I'm, i'm reading a book called uh counterfeit gods, thanks to, by Tim Keller. So if you hear me say anything particularly uh, smart, you can almost guarantee that it is coming from Tim Keller. Uh, I want to give him credit where credit is due. 
Uh, but what we're doing in this series is taking a look at, at these things that, that tend to control our lives, that, that we tend to elevate into God level. I mean, if we look at, at all these polytheistic religions, religions that worship more than one God, especially ancient ones, we, we see that they have a God for, for everything, right? A, a God for money, a God for love, a God power, a, a God of whatever else you can think of. Nowadays, this, this type of religion is rare, but this type of worship isn't. We still bow at the altars of love and money and power and success. We create these idols in our lives, and, and, and idolatry is pretty simple. All it takes is considering something greater or more important in your life than God is. Anything that grabs your heart more than God does is, is an idol. And as much as I want to pretend that God is always my number one priority, God always takes precedent in my life, I'll be the first to admit that's not true. I mean, there are times in my life where, where God might not even crack the top five. And I'm willing to admit that because I'm betting that I'm not alone in that. I'm betting that, that most of you have that same problem. It's part of the, the human condition. If anything becomes more fundamental to your happiness or, or meaning of life and, and identity than God is, though, you've created an idol, which is bad for, for two reasons. The first one is, is God tells us not to. If, if you're here visiting and, and you're not um, a believer in God or, or you're just here for a friend to support them, that's okay. And, and this whole God thing is confusing to you. There, there's another reason why it's bad. It's because we tend to place expectations on these things that they have no way of fulfilling, which will always lead to disappointment. We always come up unsatisfied. Tim Keller writes that a false god is, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Isn't this evident in the lives of the people we just talked about? They, they spent their lives accumulating wealth, and, and it became so synonymous with their identity that when it was gone, they viewed their lives no longer worth living. I think if, if Zacchaeus was alive during that 2008 recession, he may have been in that category. He spent his life viciously pursuing wealth. It had become God status to him. A little bit about Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. We were told he's the arch tax collector. People back then felt the same way about taxes as people do now. We, we, we don't tend to like them. We'd much rather allocate our money in the way that we see fit, right? Uh, but we also acknowledge that we have a civic responsibility, and if we don't fulfill that responsibility, we'll probably go to jail. And, and so we go along with it. And, and the case was the same 2,000 years ago. But the biggest difference between now and then is that we kind of have a general idea of the taxes that we have to pay, right? And, and we know that if we pay, I mean, we're in tax season right now. If, if we pay too much, soon we'll be getting that money returned to us. If we didn't pay enough last year, soon we'll owe money to the government. 
But Zacchaeus' day, it was different. Essentially what happened is the Romans would, would contract people, contract tax collectors to collect money from the Jewish people. And, and people would bid on these contracts, and, and the Romans would sell them. And then any money they made over that contract, they would just get to pocket so this really incentivized these tax collectors to overtax people. They would also do things like provide predatory loans at a very high interest rate to people who would never be able to pay off those loans so that they could keep collecting from them. They would threaten people with false charges of smuggling and then demand hush money from those people. These weren't good people. Zacchaeus was not a good person by anybody's standard. And on top of that, most of the people who collected taxes from the Jewish people were Jewish. Zacchaeus falls in that category, which makes it so much worse. The Jewish people were used to the Romans stepping on them, oppressing them. They expected it from the Romans. But Zacchaeus, he's one of us. We grew up together. We, we went to school together. We sat in temple together. We were friends. And, and now he's just another foot in my throat. He's another obstacle, another oppressor, and a line of oppressors. And by becoming a tax collector, Zacchaeus was willingly being ostracized from his community because he worked so close with Gentiles he was treated as, as one of the worst of sinners. Socially, he was rejected. Politically, he was regarded as a traitor. Religiously, he was excommunicated as an apostate. Because he was a tax collector, he was not able to hold any office of community responsibility. He was not allowed to testify in a Jewish legal court. Most people would have doubted whether it was even possible for him to experience true repentance. He was that far gone. That's how much money meant to him. He was willing to sacrifice all of that to gain some wealth. He was willing to, to endure exile and endure the hatred to, to sacrifice everything for a buck. Zacchaeus' God was, was clearly money. And I think it's really easy for us to look at Zacchaeus and wonder how in the world someone could be this greedy, someone could let greed take this much control over their lives. But, but I think it's because we don't typically have a grasp on our own greed. Which makes sense, because greed is, is a weird kind of sin. It, it hides itself. I mean, uh, nobody really has some kind of epiphany when they're cheating on their spouse and, and, and think, oh, wait, I, I'm committing adultery. You, you know what you're doing when you go into it. But greed sneaks up on you. And I think it's because we're so surrounded by it. It's so ingrained into the culture we live. We, we can always think, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. At least I'm not as crazy about investing as, as that guy is. At, at least I'm not as materialistic as, as she is. At, at least I, I'm not spending as much money. Uh, my life is much more modest than, than his is. At least my life, I, I don't live nearly as comfortable as she does. There's always someone a little more greedy than we are. 
And yet, one of the most common sins that Jesus warns us about is greed. So I think we need to maybe take it seriously. And it starts with acknowledging that, that maybe it's a, a problem that we have. That, that we may be also bowing down to the altar of money in the same way that Zacchaeus is. And, and this is a God that, that constantly promises great things and constantly fails to deliver. Here's an interesting thing about the, the false God of money is, is that it's really not a God at all. What it really is is an indicator of who our true God is. Very rarely do people collect money just for the sake of, of having money, right? We, we do it so we can experience safety and security and, and luxury and comfort and love and power and, and whatever else that money can bring us. And the way that we spend our money typically reflects our values, reflects our God. Now, I don't know what the false god behind Zacchaeus' worship of, of money was, but in our passage today, we finally see him reject it. Zacchaeus was a short man, a, a wee little man, you might say. Uh, he heard that Jesus was coming, and he wanted to see this guy that everyone was talking about. He wanted to experience it for himself, but he shows up to where Jesus is supposed to be, and, and there's already a crowd of people around him. And, and because he's so short, he can't see over the crowd, and because he's so hated, he can't make his way through the crowd. So he thinks the next best thing is to go down the road a little bit to where Jesus is going to be and climb up a tree so that he can finally see this guy. And as Jesus is walking, he spots Zacchaeus in that tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay with you today. Of all the people Jesus could have chosen, he picked the tax collector, the sinner. That's what Zacchaeus' life was defined by at this point, the God he worshipped, wealth. And notice what Zacchaeus does to, in order to receive this invitation. Nothing. He didn't quit his job. He didn't pay the people he ripped off. He didn't donate all his money to the poor yet. Jesus showed him grace, not because he deserved it, not because of any moral achievement or performance from Zacchaeus, but because Jesus created him and Jesus loved him. I mean, imagine being him at this moment. He's shut off from his community, rightfully so. Nobody wants anything to do with him. And the Son of Man looks at him, and he befriends him. He gives him a grace that, that Zacchaeus has no business receiving. And immediately, Zacchaeus is changed. I mean, what, what a perfect picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. In the chapter right before this, Luke records the story of, of Jesus encountering a, a rich young ruler who's wondering what he can do to receive salvation. And, and basically, Jesus looks at him and says, it, it's easy. Right now, you're worshiping this, this false god of money. You need to choose. Either you worship that, you follow that god, or you follow me. 
you follow me, you'll receive true salvation. But money had such a hold on this ruler that he couldn't give it up. And it says he went home sad. In this moment, Zacchaeus was faced with the same decision. He's encountered the grace of Jesus, and he knows he cannot continue worshiping both the God of money and Jesus. And Zacchaeus wanted to follow Jesus. So he realized that his old God was getting in the way. And he does two things. He he promises to give away 50% of his income to the poor, and he promises to reimburse anyone he had cheated four times over. I want you to notice something about these promises. Just the fact that they are promises. They're not even action yet. And Jesus looks at him and says, salvation has come into this house. His heart has been changed because of Jesus' grace. The, The thing that the rich young ruler desired so badly, Zacchaeus received. Salvation. And because of that, he changes allegiances from that false God of money to the true God of salvation. Friends, your money shows where your heart is. So where is your heart? Is it in security? Is it in comfort? Is it in beauty and youthfulness? Is it in luxury? Is it in adventure? And and I want to mention that these aren't bad things. It's okay to save for retirement or have a rainy day fund. It's okay to go on vacation. It's okay to to choose the king-sized bed over the queen-sized bed. You don't have to eat rice and beans for every meal in order to live like Christ did. But when these things take precedence over generosity, then it becomes a problem. Then you begin worshiping that false god. I also think I should mention, because I'm always worried about preaching on, on, on money, uh, generosity doesn't just mean tithing. It doesn't mean giving 10% of your income to us or whatever church you frequent. Now, that is a way to live gener- generously, and, and especially if you consider Christ Community Church your church home, but that's not the point of this message. Look at how Zacchaeus distributes his money after encountering the grace of Jesus. He generously reallocates it towards justice and restitution. He showed his love for God by generously using his money to love others. Everything we have, we've been given through God's gracious love for us. The the resources we possess are the Lord's. And as we grow in our faith, we stop using his resources for our own gain, and we begin using them in his service. Jesus had infinite wealth. And if he had held on to it, we would have died poor in our own spiritual poverty. If he stayed rich, we we would die poor, but instead he died poor so that we could become rich. Our sins are forgiven, and we're adopted into that family of God. And if you're a believer of Christ, no matter how you live or what you've done, salvation has come to this place. Christ gave everything for us so that we may know him and trust him 
trust in him and the riches that he provides. In the midst of the 2008 financial crisis, there was a, a lot of despair as people's false god was, was deserting them. But in his book, Tim Keller tells the story of, of a man named Bill. Bill says that in 2005, he had become a Christian. And he started finding his ultimate security in his relationship with God. He was quoted in 2008 saying, if this economic meltdown had happened more than three years ago, well, I don't know how I could have faced it, how I could have kept going. If this had happened to me before I became a Christian, I would have hated myself. It would have driven me back to the bottle and maybe even to suicide. If he never turned to God, he would have been another person on that list in the beginning of this sermon. But instead, he concludes with this. Today, I can tell you honestly, I've never been happier in my life. In the midst of an economic crisis, in the midst of his own financial collapse, he says that he's never been happier. It's because he knew the true worth of knowing and following Christ. He knew that the God of money just simply can't be removed. It must be replaced. When we stop following that false God and turn to Christ, we find out what it means to be secure, truly secure. We learn how it feels to be valued. And we find true wealth in the love and the forgiveness and the grace of our Lord and our friend, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, search us and know us and reveal our hearts to ourselves. So often we, we pursue things that, that won't satisfy us, like, like love and money at, at the, and forsake our pursuit of you. Lord, continue to work in us. Continue to help us grow in your likeness as we become like Zacchaeus. Lord, willing to, to sacrifice for you, sacrifice our comforts so that we know what it means to follow you, so that we can have a true understanding of the grace and salvation that you have offered us. And God, we pray these things in the name of your Son.